Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. That's, that's all that. Okay, so um, I'm actually, uh, today, I, 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 last week was something where God, uh, I really believe, spoke very, uh, in a very special way. To, to our church, uh, in our environment. I think he does that every single week. Uh, so every, every week I'm really excited about what God speaks. Every week I'm excited about what God does. But you know, sometimes there are moments that are special inside of special. You know what I mean? And I really feel like last week was one of those moments. And, uh, and, and we, me and Kara were talking about it. And, and I was like, man, I just, you know, can I, I just like copy the same thing over again? And because I just want to, I feel like it's something that needs to be repeated. And um, so we went on this walk and we're talking and, and this kind of thought came up uh, from Acts chapter two. It's actually Acts chapter one and chapter two. But this is what we talked about. Um, you know, I'm, I just mentioned I'm, I'm a dad three times over. And, uh, and so when you have that opportunity to be a, a parent, especially a father, because I don't know what it's like to be the mother in that situation. Um, although I got to observe and it was quite a, quite a spectacle um, and my, my wife is tougher than I will ever be. Um, but, but it would have been cool to hear about, you know, how special it is when people get to have a child and giving birth. And it's cool to hear about it, but it's something different when you are there when it happens. It's, it's special when you are in the room when something takes place that it's hard to really explain to other people that weren't there yes. in the room when it happened. It, there are some details that maybe you have words for, but you can't really communicate the depth of what actually just happened to people that you go try to explain it to. And uh, even, even this week, you know, I, was, uh, I got invited to go and hang out with a, a group of people at this conference down in, in San, San Diego, California. <laughs> And, um, and they, they, they were, they were keeping it classy. It's, it's interesting how that happened. Um, never saw the sun once. I'm like, this place is lame, Sandy Lamo. Let's go back to Reno. That's where I'm going, my paradise. Anyway, thank you. Um, what the heck was I talking about? I really got distracted there. Oh, I know what it was. And so, um, so I was down there and I was, I was uh, kind of meeting and interacting with a circle of people I had never never really been with before. And, and I, I personally, I like that. I like to connect with people that are, are in different streams, not because I don't know what I stand for and what I believe, but because I think we limit ourselves in relationship and yeah. potential when we kind of think that like this little bitty trickle of a stream that I'm in, this is all there is. This is how we do it. This is the right way to do things. And, and then we look to the left and we look to the right and all of a sudden we see people that are doing stuff. We're like, how are they doing that? Oh, are they, they're doing, I want to learn what they're doing. And so, again, you know, I think and you'll see even within our church, you know, we're not, we're not like, well, people, what kind of church are you? I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question. We love Jesus. Yes. We believe this. We think there's the spirit of God that gives us power to, to impact our city and our region. So, I don't know, does that answer your question for the kind of church? We like to have fun. I can't wear ties. I mean, I don't know what kind of church, I don't know how to describe this. Anyway, so I'm down there and, and you know, I'm, I'm having conversations with, with, uh, with different individuals and, and they're saying stuff that literally like from a theological standpoint and perspective, or, it's just blowing my mind. 
Have you ever been around somebody that says something that you already knew, but the way that they say it, you just, like, how, how? Jesus, help me one day. You know, maybe I can. And so I'm coming home and I'm trying to tell my wife about these conversations and these moments that I experienced and, and it was just pitiful. I, I mean, I, had, I was like, you, you just had to be there. So turn to somebody, elbow somebody and say, you just had to be there. You just had to be there. Y'all gonna help me preach today, right? Y'all are gonna talk to me. Y'all gonna say amen. Okay, all right, because uh, we're not at a funeral. We're not in a library. We're at church. And last time I checked, God's alive and we're saved and there's something to be excited about. Okay, anyway. Okay, we're working on it. We're working on it. I'm going to go back to um, a passage in, in the book of Exodus. And if you want to go there, we always, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to, to, to bring your Bible. And if you don't, I'll, I'm, always, I'm always pimping the YouVersion Bible app. <laughs> like download the free YouVersion Bible app on your phone. Because last week, for those of you that were here, it was embarrassing for me. I forgot my Bible. But I was able to still access it, so I pulled it up on my phone. Uh, if you don't have one, I always encourage you, go out and get yourself a good uh, New Living Translation Bible. The reason I use that one is because that's typically what I preach from the most. Um, so I'm going to go to Ephes- uh, not Ephesians, Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. So it's easy to find. Genesis is the first one. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And go to chapter 33. And I'm going to read from verses 7 through 11. And while you're turning there, can I pray for you? Because I, I, I want to get this through to you so bad. And, and the habit of who we are as a church is that what we do here on Sunday is um, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a tradition. It's not just fulfilling a religious duty, well, I went to church, congratulations. Uh, We can do anything, but the reason why we do this and why we do it every single week and why we make it consistent, why we make it a habit is because we are a part of something that is bigger than who we are, but we also realize there's something that we need that we won't be able to get on our own. And that comes from the people that are next to you. We, we force the 60-second conversation, because everyone's outgoing. We already know this, right? Everyone loves change, and everyone's outgoing. That's the world in which we live. I know that's not true. Uh, but we force the 60-second combo because we are trying to help people make connections that normally you wouldn't make. There are people in this room that if it wasn't for what God is doing in this church, you would probably never see them in your life, even though you might pass them every single day in the city or whatever it may be. But the people that God puts in your life here are gonna be people that God will use to strengthen you and God will use you to strengthen them. But also what we do here on a Sunday is not just a religious ceremony. Actually, it's not just, it's not a religious ceremony at all. So what we do here, on, here's the goal on Sunday, for you to be inspired, for you to be encouraged because I've been places where it's the opposite and it really stinks. I don't wanna go back if you're gonna discourage me and make me feel like crap anyway. And we wanna build faith in you. Here's another one, let me add this to it. The purpose of what we do here is to equip you, to give you tools, to give you not just head knowledge. This is something that's happened in the Christian world and it is, it is a travesty. We have, turned, we have turned God into an intellectual concept instead of being a person and a living power that is supposed to be alive inside of us, okay? And so we need to get past the intellect. We don't ignore the intellect because God is wisdom. God is knowledge. God is understanding. We have the word of God because it's a beautiful grace, love-filled instruction manual on how to do this thing called life and who to do it with. 
So we, we gotta get past just this surface level. I'm just trying to have wisdom of God. I'm just trying to have knowledge. I'm just trying to have understanding. No, God wants you to have that, but he wants you to have power. And for what? We'll get to that. Okay, uh, keep, why do I keep saying Ephesians? Exodus, it starts with the letter E. Exodus 33, starting in verse 7. It says it was, if you, if you heard of Moses, Old Testament figure, um, accomplished some things, pretty good guy. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. And I'll pause there just to give context. You're like, okay, Moses, tent of meeting, camp, who, who, what's going on here? So if you've, uh, there have been a few movies made about it, you know, some Charlton Heston, uh, some older stuff, uh, some, you know, some other more, some, I think Disney did one or DreamWorks or somebody. And then another one that has to do with like the Israelites who were for 400 years slaves in Egypt and God called and chose Moses to go and to lead the people of Israel out of slavery and take them to the place that God had set aside to be the, the, the paradise, the homeland for his people. And, uh, and, so, and, that's, and that's beautiful. By itself, that's a beautiful story, but we're not just communicating the story here. The, the scripture that we read today is still alive and has application for your life. And so we need to realize that as we're digging into scripture, we're not just kind of reciting history. This isn't a history class. This is a, this is a life class. This is a life master class on what God's word says for you and how you can take it into your life. Okay, is that good? All right, so, so they're in the wilderness uh, you know, Moses is, is, he's trying to lead them. And, and if you can imagine for a second, these aren't just, this isn't a, just a normal civilization, 400 years of generation after generation after generation after generation of people that were born into slavery who have been told and treated, uh, mistreated for years and years and centuries and centuries that they are worthless, they have no meaning, they have no purpose, they've had their identity stolen from them, they've had, uh, they've had their joy stolen from them, they live to, to work, to be beaten, to be used, and to be discarded to, to get work done for somebody else, okay? So, so it's not just somebody that has a, a small broken mindset, it is an entire people group who for 400 years have been programmed to believe something about themselves that was not true. And so God sends Moses to take the people of Israel and he wants to get them out of that situation, teach them who they really are, and that's no different from today. The biggest challenge that we see in our culture today is the struggle over identity. It's not new, it's been that way since the very beginning. God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the middle of this beautiful thing called the Garden of Eden and he gave them all these trees that they could eat from and he put one tree there and says, whatever you do, don't eat from this because, well, you just don't eat from this tree, okay? And he's like, fine, got thousands of things to eat from one tree. And then all of a sudden, Satan comes into the mix. Adam and Eve are together. He starts talking to Eve, and people are like, yeah, Eve messed everything up. I'm like, Adam was standing right there. <laughs> Probably eating an apple or whatever. I don't know if it was an apple, whatever fruit it was. And, um, but even in that moment, it was their identity that was questioned because they were lied to to believe that they would become something that they were not. And, and it was funny, there's a scripture, it's always fun to do this one when you're doing youth ministry, there was a verse there that describes them, they were, that Adam and Eve were, were, were fully naked and unashamed. So it's fun to say in front of a bunch of teenagers. Anyway, why were they? Because there was no sin. There was no reason for them to be ashamed. But the moment that they ate and did what God said, just don't do this, it says their eyes were immediately opened and they felt shame. 
And immediately, the identity of who they were created to be was brought into question, and it's been a struggle ever since. God's still trying to get at your identity. He's still trying to let you know that how the world around us defines who you are, what you are, what you will be, what you should be, is, the, is, is opposed to what God is speaking in your life. And so instead of us finding answers in what is around us, God is, is begging and pleading and going after us with his love and his grace and sending his son and giving us his spirit and giving us his word and giving us the church and, and giving us people in our lives to help bring us to this cross section of an interaction with a living, loving God who wants you to so desperately not just know who he is, but have the revelation of who he created you to be. Because God doesn't make mistakes. And God never lets anything go to waste. Your, your, your past, you're like, well, did God make my negative past just to use it? No, absolutely not. Our broken world makes that. Our own personal choices make that. But God doesn't make that, but he'll use it. He will take absolutely everything that the enemy of your soul wants to use to just destroy you, to beat you down, to steal your joy, to steal your identity, to steal your purpose. He will take that, flip the script, and turn it into life, turn it into purpose, turn it into favor, turn it into a destiny, turn it into a family, turn it into a marriage, turn it into children, turn it into generations that now know the goodness and the greatness of who God is. And so God's trying to do something. Verse 8 says, when Moses went out to the tent of meetings, he would go out there to, to seek the Lord and to pray. It says, all the people would get up and stand in the entrance of their own tents, and they would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside the tent. Why do you think they would do that? That's, that's like a weird verse. Like, why would they put that there? Because they knew that when Moses went to meet with God, that something was going to happen. And it was so well known. They're like, the, Moses starts moving. Somebody sees him, they're like, where's he going? Oh, the tent's over there. I think, hey, Moses is going to the tent. Tell somebody. They're like, Moses is going, something about to happen. Moses is going to the tent. And it says everybody would come out of their tents. Why are they in tents? Because they were in the wilderness. This was how they lived. They were traveling through the desert. Sounds a lot of fun. I don't think it was high desert. I think it was more like Las Vegas desert. So it was way worse, way worse. Anyway, no, we love our brothers down there. And, um, and so he would go. There was an expectation that God was going to do something. It says, they would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside the tent. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. It says, when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and they would bow down in front of their own tents. Why? why? Again, why are they doing this? And what's this cloud? You got to understand that, that when, when you have 400 years of an oppressed society, you don't know how to lead yourself. Let me also say it this way, because I'm like, I didn't come out of that, but in my life I've had a hard enough time leading myself. <laughs> the reality is, is that to go where God wants you to go, to be who God wants you to be, you'll never get there on your own. You will always, always need the leading of God and the people that God puts in your life. Imperfect people, yes. You will always need them to get where God's trying to take you. Always, you're never gonna get to a point where you get the star or you get the badge or they give you the special jacket or the hat or the certificate that says you are strong enough to do it on your own now. Congratulations, you no longer need faith, you no longer need the Holy Spirit, you no longer need God. But we kinda treat it that way. 
That's how we kind of treat God sometimes. We're like, God, hey, I'm good, I'm good. I grew up, like for me, I grew up in church. I've seen all the flannel boards with the Bible stories, I'm good. I got saved 75 times in kids' church. I got this figured out, I don't need you. Why don't you you're busy, why don't you go help all the people that, didn't, that don't know everything that I already know. And so I'm good, and then bam, I just keep stepping on rakes. And while, you know, my whole life until God says, do you get it? Do you get it? Yes, you're gonna get stronger. Yes, you're gonna become more, more, more strengthened in your spirit. Yes, you're gonna become more fruitful. Yes, you're gonna not always struggle with the same things that you've always struggled with, but you will always need me because apart from me, you can do nothing. That's in John chapter 15. Those are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, you need to remain in me because you, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The, the branches don't exist on their own. They exist because of the nutrients coming from the vine, giving life, giving purpose, giving identity to the branches. And so, and then he goes on to say that, those very words. He says, listen, apart from me. And you're like, God, you know, okay, that's cool, God, I get it. Can you just be more clear about what you're saying? Okay, well, I'll say this again. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when you say nothing, is there like an original language word in the Greek or the Hebrew that nothing actually means, just some things that are too big for me? No, God says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We have got to get ourselves to understand that it is not a, it is not a failed weakness to need to lean on somebody to get through what you need to get through. We need each other more than anything. We need the Holy Spirit. So Moses is going out, he's going to meet with God. And he's in this tent and the cloud shows up. You know, it, it tells us throughout uh, Exodus and this journey that during the daytime, uh, the spirit of God in the form of a cloud, we're like, okay, the God, the identity of God, he's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Like what manifestation of God was showing up? We're like, we're like well, it can't be the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit didn't show up until the New Testament. I'm talking to, I'm talking to like the Bible scholars here, it's okay, but listen. Um, the Holy Spirit wasn't invented in Matthew chapter one and then shows up in Acts uh, you know, chapter, chapter one. The Holy Spirit was there, it says was there when everything was created, because so, it's one God. Let's not get confused, not trying to go too deep in our theology today, we'll do a class later, okay? But, but there is one God and he has always been himself um, before time ever was in existence. And we're like, no, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, of course it doesn't make sense to us because it shouldn't, he's God. The moment that God begins to always make sense to you is the moment that you've lost sight of who God is. Because God is God, he's not man. God is not man. He doesn't have a beginning, he does not have an end. He does not wake up, he does not get tired, he does not take naps, he does not go to sleep. He does not get hungry and need meals. He does not need to do his laundry. He does not need to, I, want, I gotta take my kids to school today. You know, he, does not, he doesn't exist in the limitations of which we live. And most of what we do to screw up Christianity is because we're trying to take our finite human minds and trying to wrap it around and contain God in our own understanding. And so we end up creating this peace-sized God with no power who's limited to our understanding versus us walking in faith to trust a God that tells us to not lean on our own understanding. That's a mouthful. Okay. Verse 11. This is the part that, that gets me um, because Moses wasn't alone. In verse 11, it says, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would meet, would speak. That's an important word there. Would speak, communicate to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Please don't ever think that, that, um, you know, God doesn't speak to people or he only speaks to like the super spiritual 
superstars, which, by the way, that doesn't exist. Um, no, he, he, Moses had this with God because Moses understood that God desired relationship. And, and this was a, a, if you will, this is a really not a great word to use, this was a, a prototype, if you will, of God demonstrating through his relationship with Moses the relationship he wanted to have with his people, which to today transcends to us that this is what God desires to have with you. Like, well, I've never heard the voice of God. Listen, again, let's not wrap our finite human minds and, and try to define the way that God is trying to speak to you because here's the cool thing is that I remember the, the very first time uh, or the, the, the early season of me building a relationship with who would become my wife. And, uh, and I thought she was hot, and I still do. And, uh, and you know, I, we would talk, and I remember being nervous, and I was like, all right, I gotta come up with something to say. And, uh, and that was actually one of her biggest fears when we were early dating. She's like, I'm, uh, when she freaked out on me a couple of times, great story, I'll let her talk about it later. Um, and she's like, we're, just, I'm, we're gonna run out of things to say one day, and that's, I'm just freaked out, you know, what if we just never have stuff to say? And I'm just like, what, what is happening here? What is this? This must be love, okay. And, uh, <laughs> And, and it's never been a problem. So, but, but I remember like, you know, when a relationship first starts, you don't always know what to say. And you always, maybe just for the guys, you also don't always know how to listen. So how do you improve that time? Continuing to come back to the relationship. Continuing to lean in. And, and sometimes it's not as much about what you need to say to God as much as you just need to present yourself before the Lord and realize that he, he's got so much he actually wants to say to you. So if you can get past the fear that what God wants to say to you is he wants to call you on all the stuff that you've been doing and that's who God is, and you realize that, no, God's actually a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of love. Is he a God of judgment? Absolutely, and there is a day for that, but we don't live in that day right now because he's trying to introduce you to the relationship that, he, that, that we will experience now, but it's only just a, a glimpse of what we will experience in the life to come. But it starts with realizing that God desires to have relationship with you. It says he would speak to Moses face to face as someone speaks with a friend. And then he would go off and he would do what he needed to do as he was leading. He says, but um, the young man who assisted him, by the way, his name was Joshua, son of Nun. It was almost, it's almost said here as an afterthought. Because the important thing was it was a young man who, who decided to serve what God was doing through whom God was doing it. Not so that he could have a position of power, but so that he knew that there was something happening there that he wanted to get to. There was, there was something happening with, with their God that he wanted a closer experience with. And so the moment, again, Joshua wanted the experience of who God is. And I'm, I'm telling you, um, back to that whole thought of like we've got to get past treating God and treating Christianity and being a Jesus follower as just some intellectual encounter of, 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 of words and, and, uh, and ritual and, uh, and my own personal religious practices and take a deeper. God does, or, uh, any good relationship is an experience. Yes. Yes, that's very my relationship with my wife for the last married 18 and a half years, and, and it wasn't a whole lot longer before that because I knew let's not waste time with this, let's get married, um, has been an experience and continues to be an experience. And any good relationship that's worth any weight in water is supposed to be an experience. Why in the world have we created a culture in America and maybe even some other places, but I live in America, where we've turned Christianity into an observance? I don't observe being married to my wife. I experience being married to my wife. 
God doesn't want you to observe him, he wants you to experience him. And I know, I know, I know some people that might come, this, this is the beauty of Convo Church, we will always be a church that brings people from all different backgrounds together. And so there's, there, there, the beauty is there's people in this room and probably majority that, that, that uh, growing up in church was not your experience. And if it was, it was early on and, and it didn't really connect and you walked away and you haven't been with it since. But there are others that you've been in, in other denominational backgrounds and experiences and those always feed into how you see things and what you know and that's okay. But I, I get so sick and tired of us turning God, again, I'm just repeating myself, into an observance. I'm observing, uh, you know, I just come to church and I observe the worship. I observe what's happening. I listen to some dude get up and talk and, 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 and sweat more than he should and, it's, and I'm observe, observing him do this. And, and, or, you know, I, I, you know, I'll sit next to somebody and, and, I, and they're, you know, maybe I'll get to know him a little bit, but I'm just observing who's here and, and uh, they want me to get on the team and I'm not sure what that, that means. Uh, do I get paid to do this or is this a volunteer situation? You know, I'm just going to observe for a while. And, and meanwhile, you know, our city is, is filled with, with broken, broken men and broken women and, and broken children and, and we drive our cars down the road and we, we observe the brokenness from a distance and, and, uh, and we, or if we try to do something, we don't want to get in too much because it might cost us too much. And, and and I've got, I've got purpose and I've got, my own, I've got my own goals that I'm trying to build for. I've got my own life that I'm trying to live. If I get involved with someone else and something else and some other movement, it might, it might actually want to take more than I, than I think I have or I'm even willing to give. And, and uh, so, no, it's an experience. God wants you to have an experience and it will become real to a broken world when they see it real in the people who call themselves children of God. Joshua would just, he's like, I don't want to leave. I'm going to hang out here because it doesn't say that the cloud left. And so there's a chance God was still speaking or saying something. And I think what Joshua didn't realize is that in, in the tent in this moment, what he didn't realize what was happening is that, is that his, his dreams were being shaped and formed in the presence of God. And it was because he stayed in the room, he, he remained present he, he refused, was there things that he could have done? Yeah, he, he was assisting Moses. I can guarantee you Moses didn't go to take a nap. There were probably things that Joshua could have done to continue to assist the man of God in this situation. But Joshua's like, no, Moses, I think you're good. If it's okay with you, I'd just like to hang out here. What are you gonna do? He's like, I don't, I don't know, I just don't wanna go. I wanna, I, I, there's something happening. I wanna be with, I wanna be in the presence of God. I wanna be in the room. I don't wanna miss out on a thing. And, and I tell you what, Moses, you can go, but I'll take care of this and I'll let you know if anything else happens. I just want to be here. I want to be in the moment. And what Joshua didn't realize is that his life was being formed in the presence of God, in the room, in the house. What he didn't realize was that God would be using Joshua to, to finish what Moses couldn't finish himself. And that Joshua would be the one that would actually finish taking into the promised land and conquering all the, the opposition enemy of God's people. And that, that's, that's what happened. Why? Not because he had the degree, the certificate, the diploma, it's because he stayed where the cloud and the spirit of God was and nothing, nothing was more important to Joshua in his world than being present where God was. Flip over a few pages to the book of Acts. You know, you'll see throughout Scripture, for whatever reason, God always seems to use a group of people who continue to remain in the room. 
So when you get to the book of Acts in the New Testament, um, it's the first book after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and to the book of Acts, and uh, also referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. It's also referred to as the, you know, thought of as the, the Acts of the Early Church, and what you see happen throughout the book of Acts isn't just, uh, isn't just a story of the early church. It's a, it's, a, it's a training manual, if you will, for us today uh, to, to have the faith that the early church had. You know, they were, they were not far separated from walking with Jesus in the flesh. And they got to actually see God incarnate in the flesh teach them as, as a man how to live this thing called life and, and how to position themselves to be used by the Father uh, to bring life into a broken situation, uh, to believe that, um, that death was not actually something that could stop uh, what God wanted to do in somebody's life, that the power of God actually supersedes the very thing that's supposed to end our life called death. But God could even supersede that and bring people back because it's not when our life ends that God says it's done. It's when God says something's done that it's done. And if, and if your life is done and he's not done with you, he'll just bring you back because he's got more to do. And, and so you've got, you've got this group of people that were the, the rejects, the disqualified, either professionally or disqualified socially, that Jesus personally reached out to and called to follow him and says, if you follow me, I'm gonna teach you how to change the world. And so the book of Acts is, is us getting a glimpse into those moments of really understanding how the people that, that walked with Jesus and saw him preach and saw him teach and saw miracles and saw him talk about the kingdom of God and heaven and hell and talk about all these things, now they got to go do it themselves. And so now if you had followed, I mean, I, I try to put myself in, in those shoes. Like, all right, if I had been walking with Jesus, because Jesus' earthly ministry was about three and a half years. If I had been walking, being mentored personally by Jesus in the flesh for three and a half years, and then Jesus comes and he tells me, all right, guys, um, you know, after the crucifixion or resurrection, not that we belittle that or just kind of move past that quickly because that was kind of a big deal. Um, but, but after that's over, it says that, that Jesus began to, uh, to, to appear to his disciples uh, uh, multiple times over the course of 40 days after he rose from the dead. And, uh, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'm just gonna read this. Starting in Acts chapter one, verse three. It says, during the 40 days after he suffered and died and also resurrected, he appeared to the, to the apostles from time to time. And it says that he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Uh, once, it says, once he was eating with them and he commanded them. Now, this is important. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John, talking about uh, uh, John the Baptist, uh, the first cousin of Jesus, uh, that was kind of the, the early thing he was preaching, the repentance of sins, which is still important today. He says, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and you're like, well, why does he tell them don't leave Jerusalem? Because Jesus had just, just told them, go into all the world and do what you've seen me do. So they're like, all right, let's go. He goes, oh, wait, 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 don't, don't go yet. Because there's something that you'd need that you don't yet have that you're gonna need to do the things that you've seen me do. They're like, okay, okay, okay. So they were, they were let's, for, for the theologians, they were saved because Jesus had died, risen. He was the risen king, he was the savior. He took the penalty and the forgiveness, uh, or he took the penalty of all of our sins, defeated it, rose from the dead. So at that point, their faith in Jesus was a, eternal faith in Jesus. It was a salvation moment. 
So there was the spirit of God inside of their hearts, inside of their spirit, helping them to be born again, to become a born again. That's what the Bible says when you put your faith in Jesus and you, and you accept him as your savior, you repent of your past, your sins, and you follow Jesus. It says that you are born again. You are reborn as a new creation in Christ. So that means that, check this out, you, if you had struggles, they don't own you anymore. Doesn't mean the temptation goes away, but it means they, it doesn't own you anymore. There's no time for that. Okay. Um, and it says, yeah, you're going to be baptized of the Holy Spirit. And it says, so, the, uh, so when the apostles were with Jesus and they kept asking him, uh, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Because they were still thinking, even though all this didn't really make sense, they believed in a, in a Messiah that was going to come and overthrow the Roman government and put Israel as a nation back in power. Here's the cool thing. When Jesus rose from the dead, Israel became the people who would put their faith in Jesus. And so now there is a new Israel. There is a, there is a new people of God. There is a new chosen people. And you and I get to be a part of that. And so Jesus just kind of like kind of pushes that to the side. He's like, okay, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're, they're not for you to know. So he's basically saying, guys, you don't get it yet. Just stop it. Uh, verse 8, he goes, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this is, this is why you need the power. It's not so that you can turn it into some weird religious thing that nobody understands and you don't know how to explain it and you're not actually changing anything in your life or in anyone else's life, but you're gathering together to, to play with your, your power sticks together as, as you know, beautiful religious. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in Reno, in Sparks, in Carson, in Northern Nevada, the Western part of the United States, all of our country, and to the ends of the earth. And it says that after saying this, I love some of these verses because it just, they're like, yeah, they just say it. Um, babe, you wanna come on up? That will, that will trigger me, so, okay. It says, after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. He had gone back up, ascended back into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Where guess what he's doing? He's praying for you. He's talking to the Father about you. He's saying, hey, look at your kids. Hey, they're going through something. Let's, uh, let's help them out. Hey, uh, let's, let's lead and guide them. Let's put some stuff in their path to lead and guide them. God, Jesus is making intercession for you in the very presence of the Father. So it says they were, they continued to kind of, which this was me, I would have been there. If you're staying there, Jesus talking, all of a sudden, homeboy starts levitating. <laughs> yes, I would have been like this. And when I couldn't see him anymore, I would have been standing there just like. And to the point where God was like, okay, we're just gonna send a couple of angels down there. And it says a couple of angels showed up and said, what you looking at? This is my paraphrase. What you looking at? They're like, uh, nothing. <laughs> and they said, listen, Jesus is gone. Go do what Jesus told you to do. And it says, so they did. They, they went back. And they went back to Jerusalem. And it says in chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, which is actually not too far away, like the, the, the calendar day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, it says all the believers were, were meeting together in one place. And suddenly... Whenever you see the word suddenly in the Bible, pay attention to what's about to happen. They, because they, they had, I'll get there. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. 
something like the sound of a roaring, mighty windstorm. So just try to like, just try to visualize, try to like put yourself in the room. And it says in every, uh, oh, it says then what looked like, because they don't know what this is, they've never experienced this before. So they're trying to describe what they were experiencing. And it says then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and it settled on each of them. And it says everyone present in the room who was there was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Now here's the thing. Um, we, have, we have a lifetime to dive in and we will um, to dig deeper, but, but listen. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So real quick, so much to say. When, the, when you see the word baptism in the Bible, it, it, there was an original word that meant something more than, than just, well, it baptized, so whatever that means to me, that's what it means to me. No, it, to them it meant that you, you were consumed, you were immersed, you were submerged, you were, you were overwhelmed. That was, that was what that word meant that they used called baptizo. It's really, that actually doesn't matter, but, but that's what the word, so when they are speaking words, they didn't just throw a word out there and then we define what we think it means. That it meant what it meant for them. And so when they were baptized in water, John did not kick you in the face with water or throw a water balloon at your head. He grabbed you and dunked your butt under the water so that you were emerged, submerged, uh, overcome, overwhelmed by what? By the water. So that you could be washed and repent of your sins and come up. So Jesus used the exact same word when he talked about you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that you will all of a sudden um, you know, just feel better about yourself or um, baptized in the Holy Spirit now. So, so you know, everything, everything's, gonna, everything's gonna be different now. No, no there, there's difference. And so the moment that we take what God meant to, to overwhelm us, to submerge us, to immerse us, to consume us, and again, we wrap our little finite minds around it until we can understand it and we make it this big. We're like, it's just, it's, just, it's just something that's in my heart. No. Anyone who here has been to the beach that has waves? Some of you are like, no. See, I grew up on the East Coast and we would go down to like Myrtle Beach and, and uh, like in South Carolina and, and, uh, and they would have some pretty big waves. And, and um, one time we went to the beach and uh, actually I don't think I was there, but my wife took uh, took Jaden and they met some people, Virginia Beach. And Jaden, he, he's my youngest one, he's the confident one. He's just, whatever it is, he's like, yeah, I can do it, yeah. He's out playing, he's, he's you know, the waves are behind him and they were kind of kicking up and Karen's like, hey, Jaden, watch out, the waves are getting pretty big. And Jaden's like, I'm fine, and, and boom, he just gets nailed with this wave. Anyone here, this happening, anyone, anyone here ever been nailed by a wave when you weren't? paying attention, or you saw it come, you're like, that's not too big. All of a sudden you're like, you're underwater. You just don't even know where. That's how I see the Holy Spirit. Because how else could what God wants to put, not just in me, but he wants to put on me, not consume, overwhelm, submerge, immerse. It, it, it consumes everything in you. And that's what the church needed then and that's what the church needs now. To do what God has called us to do. This is gonna have to continue another time, but 
we'll, we'll, we'll keep going into it. I know we could go more, but you know what? Um, God's good. Um, God's saying what he needs to say right now. We'll keep going. We'll keep diving into this. But guys, you need to understand, if you're coming from a theological background, you need to, you need to understand that no matter what your persuasion, including mine, we have to let go of thinking that we have figured out all the things of, we've, we've defined God now. You know what the church has actually done? We've created permission for people to define God. And because they followed our example, now we have people defining God all over the place. And God's like, they don't know me. If, if, if they would let me into relationship with them, I would let them know who I am. And, but they've got, they think they've got it figured out. Can I pray for you? This is where we're going to be. This is where we're going to stop. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.